Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses. I'm going to welcome our South Shore, Gulf Coast, our Little Creek here at Little Creek, and our online campus to the fifth week of our series entitled The Book of Revelation. Come on, can we just welcome our other campuses right now? You know, if you haven't been here, we are in a seven-week series. We've got two more weeks to go after this, teaching on the book of Revelation. Say, Pastor, who wrote the book of Revelation? Again, week one, John, the Bible says, was on the Isle of Patmos, the Apostle John. This is around 89, 90 AD. Uh, by the way, he was the only disciple that was not martyred for his faith. They tried to kill him, but finally they couldn't kill him. And so they exiled him to a rock island, a penal colony, to go break rocks. And it's the Isle of Patmos, which is an island right between Greece and Asia Minor, where Turkey would be. It's an island, and uh, it's an amazing situation because the Bible says on the Lord's Day, that's right, on the Lord's Day, John is there, and he hears a voice behind him. And when he turns around, he sees it's not just a voice, but it's Jesus. And Jesus tells John, John, I want you to write these things down. And that's where we get the book of Revelation. Now, if you weren't here the last two weeks, uh, we have been talking, first of all, we went through the rapture and what happens to the church at the rapture. And then last week, we went into the tribulation. Now, the tribulation is seven weeks, uh, seven years long, and it is broken up in three and a half years is the first part, and the second part is three and a half years. Today, I want to talk to you about the second half of the tribulation. I do want to mention this as well. We give CDs away, but we're really trying to get people into downloading the podcast. Last week, we gave over 3,000 CDs away. It's getting, it's getting a little bit hard even for our machines to do all that. And so I want to encourage you to go online. You can download. You can watch it on the video, or you can download uh, the podcast. Now, last week, I mentioned to you Right before our very eyes, we are seeing prophecy and scripture fulfilled. I mean, come to life right, right before our very eyes. I promise that we're going to look at some of the biblical parallels with current events. Let's talk about the Middle East. The Middle East is red hot right now. I've said it nearly every week in this series, and I'll say it again. I'm not setting dates for the return of Christ. I don't believe anybody can. Jesus himself said that he and the angels of heaven don't know when he returns, but my father does. Are, are you with me? So no preacher knows. We can't prognosticate. We, we can't project into the future. But what we can do is we can look at seasons. We can, we can look at different things in the Bible. So I'm not about to say in any shape or form that I believe uh, today or tomorrow the Lord's coming. By the way, I will say if he does come, I'm ready. Come on, how, are, you, are you ready? I, I'm filled with the Spirit. My heart's right with God. But I'm, I'm living that he may come back today, but I'm planning that he may come back in 100 years, all right? I'm telling my kids, go to college. We're, we're planning for our future and whatnot. Having said that, right now, we are seeing currently alliances that I'm going to show you in the Bible, alliances that are coming together that are literally right off the pages of the Bible. Perhaps you've read, and perhaps you've even seen the last few weeks, what's going on with Russia and with Syria and with Iran. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with the Bible? Well, if you read in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, and again, I don't have time to unpack all this, I want to encourage you at all of our campuses to read this week Ezekiel 38 and 39. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in the last days that there's going to come, watch this, there's a king from Gog, and there's a region called Magog. And Magog and Gog form an alliance. Watch this. They form an alliance and the alliance is a coalition of nations 
that come against Israel. Now, what's interesting about this, the alliance in all of this, they actually name the nations in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Let me give you the nations. Meshach, Tubal, Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer, and Togoma. I want to look at a map and I want to show you. Listen, the prophet Ezekiel sees a picture in the future and he sees Gog and Magog. Gog's a king, Magog's a region, and it's also a type of a coalition that comes together. And he says that these nations come together and they come against Israel. Let's look at where these nations are. I put this in your map, really interesting. Everybody say Gog. That's the leader. And everybody say Magog. Now, this is in Ezekiel 38. Magog is right here. Magog is present-day Russia. Togorma is the northern part of Russia. Tubal is right here. Uh, you can see this, Armenia. You can see Georgia, which is, a, is a, not Atlanta, Georgia. This is over here right in the southern part of Russia. Gomer, Turkey. Put is all the northern countries of Africa, like Egypt and Libya, all the way over to Morocco. Persia. Everybody say Persia. This is in Ezekiel 38, 39. Guess what Persia is in modern day? It's modern day what? Iran. Meshach, which is Syria or the Iraq region. So Ezekiel 38, 39, Ezekiel says there's coming a day in the end, the last days, that there's an alliance that's going to form and it's going to form. Gog is going to lead it, which is a leader of the north and Magog, and it represents this coalition that comes together. What is the purpose to come against this little, you can't see it, uh, yeah, to come against this little sliver of land called Israel. Isn't it amazing, this little sliver of land that has just shaken the world from the beginning of time? It's just amazing. So say, Pastor, man, this is pretty heavy. Well, if you look last week, this past Monday, an article appeared in the New York Times detailing the alliance of Russia, Syria, and Iran. It's formed with the goal, they say, they say it's formed with the goal of defeating ISIS. However, some of the same nations have made it no secret that their goal is much bigger than just defeating ISIS, that their coalition is attached to something. For instance, the Iran supreme leader, Iranian supreme leader, not Ayatollah Khomeini, who when I was a kid in the 80s, Ayatollah Khomeini was part of the hostage crisis. As Americans, we remember that. This is uh, Khomeini, Ayatollah Khomeini. And here's what he said, quote, this barbaric, wolf-like regime of Israel, which spares no crime, has no cure, but to be annihilated. So now what you've got is you've got Russia, you've got Syria, and you've got Iran coming together in a coalition. Ostensibly, it is to address the issue of ISIS, all right? Allegedly, it's to address this issue of ISIS. But the deeper impact coming out of the mouth now of the Iranian leader is, listen, there is a hatred there's a hatred for Israel. Now, let me just tell you this. Let me say what I'm not saying. Pastor Steve, are you saying that this coalition at this time is the final coalition that comes against Israel? Here's what I'm saying. I can't say that. But I am saying that those same nations at some point in time will come together for that purpose. Are you, are you with me? Let me say this one. I'm going I'm to qualify one other time, lest somebody misinterpret me, all right? Pastor Steve, are you saying that Russia and Iran and Syria are coming together and this is the final coalition that leads us to a final battle 
And, and, and is this the fulfillment of prophecy that wraps this whole thing up? No, I'm not saying that. I am saying this though, those same nations will come together at some point in time and they will come against Israel and that will be wrapping it up. Are you with me? I just can't say it's right now, but something like this exactly will happen at some point in time. All right, is that fair enough? You guys with me? I want to be very careful. You don't run out of church. The king pastor saying this is it, the end of the time. I am saying that at some point in time, this exact coalition is going to come together and I'm telling you, it's moving right, marching right towards the final battle. All right, having said that, I want to go back and I want to look because I want to put all these events together. By the way, have you guys enjoyed those maps and those graphs that we've done for you? Has that been helpful? Uh, I hope so. Let me go back and I'm going to show you a graph that we've been operating from. And I hope this has been a, a helpful graph. We are currently right here in the church age, all right? And uh, preaching the gospel, people getting saved, disciples being made. And then we have the rapture. Everybody say it. We have the what? The the rapture. The rapture, again, the word rapture is not found in the Bible. Uh, the word rapture is a Latin word, but it's translated harpazo, the Greek word where Paul says, uh, we shall not all die, but we shall be caught up. And the word caught up suddenly, suddenly caught up. That means there's a generation of people that are believers in Christ that are going to be on this earth, that they're not going to go by way of the grave, that actually they're going to be snatched up. What happens there? The Bible says this is week uh, four, all right, week three and four, we talked about this. The Bible says, actually week three, that Jesus comes, he returns. He doesn't come all the way to earth, but he comes to the what? He comes to the clouds. Paul says he comes to the clouds and he raptures his church up. This is 1 Thessalonians 4. Again, I taught a lot about this a few weeks ago. The rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ are two different things historically, the way in which I see it, all right? So the rapture of the church, and then we learned last week what happens immediately after the rapture of the church. Well, the Antichrist is revealed, but we're in heaven. We immediately go to the judgment seat of Christ, and then we enter into a seven-year supper of the Lamb. By the way, the judgment seat of Christ does not determine whether or not we go to heaven. It determines about what we do in heaven for eternity, all right? This is about what we did for Christ in the here and now. We go to heaven because of faith in the blood of Christ. What we do in heaven for eternity is based upon the righteous deeds of the saints. Very important. Again, I taught that last week. So we're there for seven years. Well, then there's things that are happening down here. Last week, I began to unpack three and a half years. The first three and a half years of the tribulation, there is deception. Uh, the Antichrist is a political leader. He's pulling people together. And then we have what's called the abomination of desolation, which I'll talk more about today. Then the three and a half years, the back end, it's called the Great Tribulation. That's where two-thirds of the things, the wrath is poured out, not just the seals, but now we've got the trumpets and the bowls of God's wrath. Then at the end of this, there's this battle. This battle with the coalition of the nations of the earth that come together against Israel. This is the battle right here, Armageddon. We'll talk about it towards the end of the message. As this battle is going on, Christ comes back to the Mount of Olives, splits the Mount of Olives in two right here, all right? and uh, defeats the armies of Israel. And right here sets up the millennial, the millennial reign of Christ. I'll be teaching about this next week. For a thousand years, he comes back with his saints, with us, his body, and we rule and reign with Christ on the earth. At the end of that great white throne judgment, that'll be week seven, 
All right, the seventh message, the final message, and then the new heavens, and then the new earth. All right, so keep, please keep referring to that because I think it's a healthy graph. I want to mention one other graph, the tribulation itself. There's a couple of things if you pull that up. First three and a half years, relative peace. Last week, we talked about the two witnesses. We talked about the temple being restored in Israel, in Jerusalem. We talked about the 144,000 Jews getting saved and being protected. The Antichrist actually is favorable to these Jews on the front end until he can deceive them at the abomination desolation. We also talked about the judgment seals. As Christ was opening the seals, judgment started hitting the earth. The second half, today we're gonna to talk more about the two beasts, the temple being desecrated, the 144,000 being martyred, and what about the trumpets and the bowls? The first timeline or the first storyline in the tribulation is the church. The church is being married to Christ in heaven. How many of y'all looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Isn't that going to be powerful? Man, I'm looking forward to it. The second storyline is Christ pouring out judgment on the earth. The third storyline, which I want to unpack today, is the storyline of judgment. What is taking place with the people on the earth? All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. I want to talk now about the Antichrist. I want to unpack some of the events specifically that are going to happen in Israel, in Jerusalem with the Antichrist. There's some things that have to happen. Again, we don't know exactly when these things are going to happen, but we know that there are some events that are going to happen. Does that make sense? All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Here's what Paul says, and we get into what the Antichrist does. Paul says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day. What day? For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. I'm going to talk about that day. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The, the day he's talking about is the return of Christ. That day's not going to happen until some things happen, all right? Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. This is the Antichrist. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. So that he, what, say it, he sits. This is the Antichrist. He sits as God. He's not God, but he sits as God. Where does he sit as God? Where does he sit in the what? In the, in the temple of God. Remember I said last week, the temple, the third temple, they already have plans. You can Google it. You can Google it online. And you can see the third temple, the Jewish temple. It's all online. You can do video fly through. They've already got this temple. They've already got this temple design. He sits. There is no temple. There's no Jewish temple currently in Israel right now. I want everybody to know that. There's no temple. But at some point, there's going to be a third temple. But when's that going to happen? The beginning of the tribulation. All right? For those three and a half years. So he sits in the temple as God declares himself. And he shows himself that he is God. Well, what does this mean? I tell you what this means. You can pull that down for me. I tell you what this means. This moment when he walks into the temple, listen to me very closely. So we've got, we've got the church is raptured. We're in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb. All right? On earth, this man of peace steps forward. Remember, Daniel says he signs a covenant, listen to me, with Israel. I mean, you talk about the stage is set. The, the stage is set. I mean, who can bring peace to that situation, right? I mean, that thing, man, there's so many things going on over there. So this guy steps forward. He's a human being anointed by the devil. Are you with me? 
Remember, there's two beasts. One is a political leader, that's the Antichrist, and one is the false prophet, that's a religious leader. We're gonna talk about him. So he's a political leader. So what happens is the first three and a half years, he shows favor towards Israel. That's why 144,000 Jews are born again and he doesn't martyr them. Everybody else is being martyred, but not these Jews. Well, why is it? What's his motive? What is his motive? I'll tell you what his motive is. He wants to sit in that temple. His motive is he wants to sit in that temple because he knows what's going to happen. He knows that Jesus is going to be in that temple, but he wants to declare himself to be God. Are y'all with me? This is powerful if you see this. So he, he deceives Israel, and then the day comes. At the three and a half year mark, the Bible says, remember Daniel says he breaks his covenant? Well, what does he mean? It's called the abomination of desolation. He walks, I taught this last year in Daniel. Jesus talked about it in Mark 13. It's in the gospels. And we talked about it last week in the book of Revelation. Here's what happens. He's at the, I'm gonna give you, he's at the dedication service of the temple. It's finally completed. And guess what the Antichrist does? He walks into the temple. He goes all the way through the outer court, the inner court. He goes into the Holy of Holies. He goes into the mercy seat and he sits right there. And here's what he says. He declares himself to be God. When that happens, the mask is removed. Israel's in shock, all right? They're like, what was this all about? He stops the sacrifices. The Jewish people started sacrifices. Again, we learned that in Daniel. And he declares, and, and, that, and the Bible, when that happens, the tribulation, remember I said relative peace, there's still some judgment. It goes to a whole new level. Again, as we would say in the South, it goes full on. Are y'all with me? <laughs> I mean, wrath is poured out. It is, I mean, is this, is this interesting or what? At that point, a new Holocaust starts and he wipes out every hundred, every one of those Jewish believers. I just think it's interesting how the enemy's always been after annihilating Jewish people. Isn't that interesting? And even Christian people. Now, I want to give a little bit of perspective. So you've got the Antichrist. Now he sets himself up and he declares himself. He's now the ruler of the world, all right? We're in the middle of the tribulation. Now, I want to talk about another thing that's very important to the book of Revelation, and that is this. I want to answer the question, what is this harlot Babylon? Is that a person? Is that a place? Is that a geographical location? I mean, what is this? Because this harlot Babylon keeps popping its head up throughout the book of Revelation. Well, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 17. I want to give a little historical perspective and talk about this because this, this is so critical because, because, because what you're going to see is the Antichrist is all attached to this harlot Babylon. Now stay with me, all right? I'm going to try to talk as slow as I can. Revelation chapter 17, verse 4 to 6. So we've talked about the Antichrist. We know what's going on in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the church had been raptured. We know the first third of the tribulation, the first half of the tribulation, the enemy, the antichrist is deceiving the world. We know it's the midway point, and now he steps into the temple. He goes into the Holy of Holies, he's, and he sits down, and he declares himself to be God. That's what he does, all right? That's called the abomination of desolation, all right? The harlot Babylon now enters the picture. The woman who was arrayed in purple, and scarlet, John is writing, and adored with gold and precious stones and pearls. So allegedly, this is a woman, but it's not really a woman. It's a place. Having in her hand a golden cup, I'll explain in a moment, full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. 
whoa. So the sexual immorality, there's idolatry going on here. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of the harlot and of the abomination of the earth. Whoa, this is heavy. There's a lot going on. And I saw this woman. She was drunk with the blood of the saints. So a lot of, a lot of Christians were, 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 were killed here. So it's shifting and you're realizing this is not a, a person, but this is a place because there's some things that have happened at this place. If you read in history, there was a city where a lot of Christians were martyred, particularly under Nero. So you're going to see this in a second. It's drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So John sees this picture. It, you think in the beginning it's a woman, but then it starts talking about idolatry and their sexual immorality. And the whole city is drunk with the blood of the martyrs and God's saints. What is he talking about? talking about a city called Rome. Rome was always a persecutor to the church. And if you remember the Roman Colosseums and they would feed Christians to the lions and they would martyr Christians. And, and remember that Israel was under Rome's rule and occupation. And so, and so, so wh where does Rome come into this? The ancient, listen to this, this is fascinating. The ancient Jewish writers consistently refer to Rome as the harlot Babylon. If you look at old Jewish history and ancient Jewish writers, they always referred to Rome as the harlot Babylon. In 70 AD, here's what happened. Rome sent Jerusalem one of its generals, Titus, who later became Caesar Vespian to smash this Jewish revolt. By the way, Titus was the father of, C Titus was the father of Caesar Domitian. Does it, do you remember that name? That's the one that, that exiled John to the Isle of Patmos. Here's what happened. Titus was sent by Rome down there. There was a Jewish revolt. Finally, the Jews in about 66 AD, they got tired of all these Roman people oppressing them. They tried to, they did, they tried to revolt. They tried to, we, we, and they rose up and they, just, they, they killed a whole regiment of Romans. And it looked like they were starting to get free. Well, Rome sends Titus down there. Titus comes down there. He's got all these battalions and these regiment of Romans and they arrive on ships and, they, and they're marching and they're, and they're coming from Rome and they come, they, they park in Caesarea and all up and down the coast and, and they are marching towards Jerusalem. When they get to Jerusalem, they literally destroy the whole place. This is 70 AD now and they destroy the temple. Titus says, everything of Jewish vestige, get rid of every, they destroyed the temple. And what happened was there was a group, this is fascinating, of Jewish zealots that escaped right before Titus got down. Let me tell you where they went. They went to a place called Masada. After Rome was destroyed, I mean, after Jerusalem was destroyed, and the temple, there was another group that escaped. In all, there was 963 Jewish zealots led by a man named Eleazar, and they went to this place called Masada. Now, some of you may remember the movie Masada. It is a fascinating, I encourage it, all of our campus, man, you need to watch it because it's, a, it's the story of the Lash Jewish stronghold right down by the Dead Sea on top of a mountain that had been leveled off and palaces were built by Herod 30 years before the birth of Christ. It was his summer palace down by the Dead Sea. Well, these Jewish, soul, these Jewish zealots were down there led by Eleazar, and it was the last remnant stronghold of the Jews. About 73, 73 AD or so, they were all killed, and Rome once again dominated the whole land. Well, why is that important? I've been there. I've been to Masada. 
And I began to see the vastness of what took place. And you can see the dead, so you can see all over. And I began to think about Rome. Watch this. I began to think about Rome and what, how Rome had impacted the Jewish people and how Rome had impacted, how, how Rome had impacted the Christian people. There's a problem, though. The problem was Rome had to cooperate with the Antichrist, and the Antichrist actually had his headquarters first set up in Rome. Now, I'm going to show you here in a section. This is fascinating when you see this. The leadership of ancient Rome, there was called a senate, and they would inhibit Caesars from raising up. For some reason, for some reason, the Antichrist was inhibited. I'm going to show you in the Bible in just a moment from rising up and establishing his world headquarters in Rome. That's why one of the reasons he shifted it to Jerusalem. He shifts it down to Jerusalem. And when he shifts it down to Jerusalem, we see this very same thing in Revelation 17. One thing, one thing restrained him. What restrained him was the Roman leaders, for some reason, this is going to happen politically, for some reason, he could not dominate them. He finally says, enough, and he goes to Jerusalem. That's right before the abomination of desolation. This is going to happen. He gets there, and when he establishes, when he establishes his kingdom, his demonic kingdom in Jerusalem in the temple, he says, I'm going to control the whole world economically. He said, why did I bring up Rome? I brought up Rome because it's interesting, Rome, how it comes in and out of the, of the Christian world, how it comes in and out of the Jewish world. And it's interesting that where the Antichrist, it was such an idolatrous place, sexual immorality, but some, for some reason, he could not dominate Rome. He couldn't set up his headquarters there. That's why he ended up in Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, here's what happens. Revelation chapter 13, verse 16 to 18. He causes all, this is now the second half of the tribulation, all, both small and great, rich and poor, slave and free, to receive a mark. He's now in Jerusalem. He's sitting in the temple of God. He's taking it over from the Jews. He stopped their sacrifices. He slaughtered the 144,000 Jews. Now on the earth, you've got, watch this, You've got the trumpet judgments hitting the earth. You've got the bowl judgments hitting the earth. Christians, where are we? We're in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many of y'all are grateful that we're in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Man, I'm grateful for that. Praise God. And the Antichrist says, I've got to control the world. I've got to control it. And the way he does it is he does it economically. Remember, he's a political leader. Revelation 13, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one that has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here, listen, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. I want to unpack this just for a moment. To understand the mark of the beast, we must understand some history. Do you guys remember in the first, uh, the uh, second message, I talked about those seven cities in Asia Minor, the trade guilds that you couldn't sell or buy unless you gave honor and homage to Caesar? Do y'all remember that? This is the exact thing that happens here at the end, all right? In the end, that the Antichrist sets up a system where you can't buy or you can't sell unless you have a an inscription. Remember, Jesus had render under Caesar things that are Caesar and things under the Lord, the things that are Lord. Caesar was all over the money, right? He was all over. Well, the Antichrist, it was an imprint, an image, an image. 
Do you know what the mark of the beast really is? It's the Antichrist's mark. I mean, if you, it, it's the Antichrist's mark on a person that says, I'm putting my image on that person. You know what he's really saying? I own that person. You know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to try to own and control our lives. But how many know those that have been washed with Christ, we, we belong to Jesus. Well, we, we don't belong to the world system. Come on, are y'all with me? We don't belong to the world system. We don't belong to the antichrist. We don't belong to some demonic. We belong to Christ. That's why we would never allow a mark to be put on our heads unless you put this mark by ourselves. No. Now, I believe personally, according to scripture, we are raptured at that point, all right? I know there's other godly people that believe that we're here during that time, but I believe that we're raptured. Nonetheless, there are people that are being saved during that time that will make that choice. Like I taught you last week, if they, if they refuse to mark, what happens to them? If they refuse to mark, what happens to them? They're martyred. By the way, by the way, uh, martyrs have always been a part of church history. <laughs> the difference here is, is that they're not only being martyred, there's man's wrath, but God's wrath is also being poured out in the earth. So there's a combination that's happening right here. All right, so watch what happens. The storyline of the throne. This brings us back to the throne. When the Antichrist commits the abomination of desolation, declaring himself to be God, sitting in the temple of God, Christ unleashes a torrent of judgment, the trumpet judgments and the bold judgments on the earth. Now, let me tell you, if you have in your notes, I did an insert. I can't explain all the, I cannot explain all of this, but I did an insert giving you all the trumpet judgments. You can look at them in your notes. South Shore, you can take that out of your notes. You can see it. The trumpet judgments, I listed, listed every one, two, three. The bold judgments, one, two. That's right out of the book of Revelation. All right, we give you all the, all the stuff there. And you'll see exact, because every one of these judgments represented something. Now, as you can see, let me close this up. Things are not really good for people on the earth. I, I learned something the last few weeks studying this that I never really understood it. There were three there were three kings. This is in the book of Revelation. There were three kings that aligned themselves with the Antichrist right after he took, right after he took uh, control at the abomination of desolation. Three kings. The Antichrist and the three kings divided up the world under their authority. All right, now listen to what I'm about to say. These three kings, and by the way, these three kings that are all part of this last battle are influenced by demon spirits during the sixth bold judgment. Now listen to me closely. You have three kings that align themselves with the Antichrist. So there's four demonic rulers, all right? One Antichrist. But towards the end of the tribulation, these three kings are influenced by demons and they turn on the Antichrist. Now watch me closely. These three kings are part of this coalition that comes together towards this final battle called Armageddon, all right? And what they do is, is they all march together. Armageddon, I wanna give you a little bit of background of this. The kings of the north, the south, and the east are influenced by these three demons during the sixth bold judgment. And the kings with their armies meet in the Jezreel Valley, north of Jerusalem, right at the foot of a city called Megiddo, Har Megiddo which is a city on a hill. If you go to Israel, and many of you have been to Israel, I know more are going. If you go to Israel, it's above Jerusalem. You go over a mountain range. And when you go over a mountain range and you go for a while, you'll see there's this beautiful valley. Matter of fact, it's the only valley that stretches from the Mediterranean 
all the way to the Jordan River. Don't miss what I'm about to say. That is the valley where these three kings, influenced by demonic spirits, along with all of that coalition, line up to come against Israel. Now, this is important because I learned something really this week that I never saw before. You want to know why they're coming? They're coming against Jerusalem, but they're actually coming against the Antichrist. I want everybody to hear what I just said. Because the Antichrist, things are not going well on the earth. Remember, Jesus is at this point in time, marriage supper of the Lamb. He's in heaven. We're worshiping with him. But they're coming against Israel. They're coming against the city of Jerusalem. This is where the Antichrist is ruling right now, all right, at the, at the last half of the tribulation. So all of these, all of these armies of the earth gather together. This is all in the scripture. And they gather together and they're getting ready to storm Jerusalem. As they enter into Jerusalem and they're going to annihilate, the Bible calls it the holy city. All right. They're trying to wipe out the Antichrist, but they're going to wipe out the whole city again. All right. Guess what happens? I'll tell you what happens. That's the second coming when Christ comes back. Christ comes back right in that moment. I got to tell you something that's so amazing. I was, in the, I, was in, I was in the Jezreel Valley. I was in Armageddon. I was standing on what's just called Armageddon. All right. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little village now. All right. And Dr. Jack Hafer, I was with Dr. Jack Hafer. First time I went to Israel, 2008, and I'm sitting there. And he's reading this right out of the book of Revelation. And the armies of the world, remember, they're being influenced by demon spirits. Isn't it interesting that the enemy actually turns on himself at the end? Are y'all with me? How many of those confusion with the devil? The devil, listen, ends up fighting against himself, his own people. It's just all, it's all confusing how the enemy even, even, even fights against himself in the end. Because he knows his time is short, the Bible says that. I'm standing there and Dr. Jack Hayford's reading about this valley and the millions of people, the armies that are coming together in this final battle, all right, Armageddon. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden, it was just, it was just so powerful. I mean, he's just teaching. He's got the scripture. All of a sudden, watch this. I heard, boom. And I went, look, I'm literally, I'm not making this up, all right? I literally almost fall to the ground. And uh, actually, Pastor Dave DeGarmo was with me. He looked at me. I didn't, but it looked like he almost cussed. And so he just, he just like, and literally, we just caught one another like this. Now, he didn't cuss, but he came close. And so we would just, we just literally like this. And I was like, Dave! And everybody, Dr. J, everybody. I was like, I'm like, this is, this is happening right now. It's like Christ is coming back when we're in our, this whole thing. Can I tell you what it was? It was a sonic boom of a jet. That's one of the main fly areas for the Israeli jets. And a jet, if you, I've only heard sonic boom twice. Anybody ever heard a sonic boom before? I've only heard it twice. One time I was in a tree in St. Francisville, deer hunting, and a sonic boom happened, and I was actually reading the Bible. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, you know, at least I'm in a tree, I'm higher. The Lord's gonna get me. I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. Second time. And so all of a sudden, then we saw the two jets and they fly. How many of you know? I don't know if Dr. Jack like planned that, but that was like a real effect. I'm just telling you, that was a so you got this army, all these armies, 
these three kings influenced by demon spirits. We read about it in the sixth bowl judgment. All this is in the scripture. And all of a sudden, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and 6, 11 through 16. Now I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. Everybody say a white horse. And he who sat on him who was called faithful and true and in righteousness, the judges, uh, he, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Isn't that powerful? His name is called. And all the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen. That's us. We're coming back. Do you remember in Jewish history? Remember the bride? Remember, remember in Jewish history, the groom brings the bride to their new home. We're coming back to, our, to, to, to rule and reign with him in the millennial kingdom. And fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Come on, are y'all with me? Look at the next verse. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. This is powerful what's going on. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. I mean, this thing is happening. So, and he has his, on his robe and, and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Can y'all say that with me? Say it, one, two, three. King of kings and Lord of lords. He has this thing. It's King of kings and Lord of lords. Powerful. The returning King Jesus is going to come riding He's riding on a white horse proclaiming in, in Roman times, Roman Empire, after a victorious Roman general or Caesar had gained victory in a city. You know what they actually rode through the city on? A white horse. They actually rode through a city on a white horse. These people knew exactly in the first century what he was talking about. Remember, the first century is reading this, all right? Some of it was fulfilled then, but we know that a lot of it's not. This event has not been fulfilled. Are you with me? And what's so amazing about this whole thing, say, pastor, where does Jesus come back? Where is his location? I'll tell you, his exact location. It's the same place where he was when he ascended to the Father. Pastor, are you making this up? It's in the Bible. Zechariah chapter 14, verse four. Where does Christ return? This is his return. Remember, the rapture is not his return. He comes halfway, raptures us up in the clouds. This is when he comes. Go back to my chart, and I'm going to show that. Come on, my first chart, if you can do that. I'm finishing in three minutes. Uh, this, the rapture, we go up. He does not come. This is not, his, this is not called his return. This is now where we are. The battle of Armageddon. Things are happening. The nations of the earth are coming against Israel. They're coming actually to oust the Antichrist, but they're going to destroy the holy city. All of this is happening right here. And this is when Christ comes back on a white horse. He comes all the way back. And the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 14, 4, and in that day, everyone say in that day. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall be moved towards the north and half of it towards the south. Now, when you include what's called the Kidron Valley, which is a valley right between the current temple and, the, 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 and, and the, the Mount of Olives, it divides Jerusalem into three parts. This was all prophesied. By the way, this is, this is shown in the seventh bold judgments. If you read the seven, I've got it on you in your notes. The seventh bold judgment, it says Jerusalem's divided into three. That's exactly what happens right here. Acts 1, he goes up on the Mount of Olives. The end of time, he comes down on the Mount of Olives. Is that cool or what? 
Well, pastor, what does he do when he comes down? I'll tell you what he comes down. He comes down, and by the way, and I say this respectfully, he's not coming back as the suffering servant. He's coming back as the conquering king. Are you guys with me? You need, listen, you need to get a right picture of Jesus. And I say this very respectfully. We identify with the suffering of Christ on the cross. We understand his compassion. We understand the passion of Christ. We understand all of that. The we understand. But I'm going to tell you something. That's not the current picture. That is a very important picture. The cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. Absolutely. I'm not diminishing any of that. But he's coming back as a king. He's not coming back as a suffering servant. Are you with me? By the way, today he rules and reigns in heaven as a conquering king. That means any addiction you're facing, let me tell you, any lie you're believing, any struggle that you're going through, Jesus is a king and kings have all power to demolish things that are against their subjects. Come on, are y'all with me? You, you've got to see this, who Christ is. He comes back and he, and he, and so what does he do? He comes back and the Bible says he actually walks down into the temple. The Antichrist is ousted. I'm going to show you next week. He's actually, the Antichrist is actually chained up for a thousand years. Christ chains him up for a thousand years. Go back to my picture if you can, my map if you can. The Antichrist, Christ himself goes down there with the, the, uh, my map of the tribulation, the rapture. Christ himself goes back and he chains up the Antichrist and he throws him in the, um, my first map, but the rapture, the truth. Yeah, think, there you go. And right here, and, and, and the Antichrist himself, uh, the, the, Satan himself is bound. Satan himself is bound for a thousand years as well. I'm gonna teach all about the millennial reign of Christ, but where is Christ ruling? He's ruling in Jerusalem. That city's a big deal to God. Now I'll close with this. It's a really big deal to God. This little piece of land by the way, this, the Israel, the nation of Israel, the, 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 the land is the story of salvation in and of itself that I'll teach you another day. Pastor, what do you want me to know? Here's what I want you to know. We serve a victorious king. We serve a God that's alive. We serve a king, listen, that wins. Are you with me? Here's what I want you to do. What I want you to do is live for God today. <laughs> I mean, give your heart, whole heart. I'm not telling you Christ is coming back today, tomorrow, or even a hundred years, but I know one thing, he is coming back. Are you with me? And whether I'm in heaven at that point, I come, and whether, whether I, I die by way of the grave or whether I'm raptured up, I'm, I'm looking forward to living with Christ in eternity. Next week, I'm gonna talk about what you do and what I'm gonna do. We have a job during the millennial kingdom. This is all out of the scripture. But before we go any further, I just want to say this. I'm telling you, I don't ever believe you scare somebody into salvation. I believe the Holy Spirit draws us. And I don't believe maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, you know, I need Christ. I'm not where I need to be with God. I'm not sure if I die today. Pastor, this book of Revelation, I'm a new, maybe, maybe you're new here. It's like, man, this is so, whoo, it's kind of overwhelming. And trust me, I haven't done it in 16 years because it's overwhelming to all of us. I hope that this has given you a step to understanding, though. Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you're not sure about your relationship. I want to pray for every one of our campuses. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. And I just, here at Little Creek, I just want to pray. Maybe you're in this place that you do not know Christ. You're not sure about your relationship with God. I just want to pray with you right now. Amen.